0: hey guys welcome to the bitcoin fortress podcast helping you increase your financial freedom this is episode 54 recorded here on march 5th 2023 this podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice so please as always do your own homework all right well we'll get started with the market update from last week Stocks rallied Friday to close a volatile week as U.S. Treasury yields pulled back from their recent highs and economic data helped investors look past the growing likelihood that the Federal Reserve will keep its restrictive policy in place for longer than anticipated. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury settled back below 4%, shedding 11 basis points to 3.96%. And the two-year yield uh, fell five basis points to 4.86%. So still inverted, still signaling recession, yada yada. U.S. economic data released Friday showed better than expected demand for services in February. New orders rose to the highest level in more than a year and hiring increased. Sounds inflationary. The three major stock market indexes rose for the week, with the Dow Jones adding 1.7 percent to snap a four-week losing streak. The S and P 500 closing 1.9 percent higher, and the Nasdaq gaining 2.6 percent. So, although it was a good week, um, I think a lot of the folks that I'm reading are saying still a bear market. Um, nothing really fundamentals changed, um, so we'll see. Uh, Looking ahead, the jobs report could be the biggest talking point of the next week after Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller warned interest rates may have to be raised more than expected if economic data comes in hot. Investors will also be paying close attention to Treasury yields, especially the 10-year Treasury note after its flirtation with the 4% level. On the political front, the White House is expected to release a proposed budget on March 9th. That should be fun. The proposal could have implications for some defense stocks, depending on the funding levels that are eventually worked out with Congress. Meanwhile, earnings reports slow down quite a bit in the week ahead, although updates from Dick's Sporting Goods and Oracle could rattle their respective sectors. The calendar next week also includes a large number of corporate events with the potential to move share prices, Apple's annual meeting, the General Electric event, and Mattel's Investor Day are some of the headliners. Okay, moving into Bitcoin news this week. Uh, I have several articles to share. Not all of them are directly related to Bitcoin, but all of it kind of uh, ties in. Uh, the first one here is from CoinDesk. This was published on March 3rd. Entitled "The Rise and Fall of Silvergate's Crypto Business," and for those of you who don't know or have been following this, Silvergate Bank is basically a big bank that services the crypto and Bitcoin industry, and um, has been having a lot of problems lately. Stock price is plummeting, um, and there's some question they had to delay their their uh, annual filing because uh, they're still trying to figure out what the impact of the crypto crash is to their business. Apparently. And then uh, there's also uh, potential that they might not be a going concern, which means they might not, in accounting parlance, last for another year. Um, and so that also uh, caused a little bit of a correction in the Bitcoin, a little sell off. So um, uh, anyway. Silvergate Bank lost more than $8 billion in deposits from its crypto customers in the final months of 2022 as its core block of business crumbled under the industry's implosion, just as the bank's regulators had predicted might happen for such institutions. The sudden evaporation of most of its deposit base was only one of several worries for the La Jolla, California based lender. The company has faced pressures from U.S. banking watchdogs that have been insisting. That banks shouldn't concentrate on crypto and its disclosures this week revealed investigations from regulators and the u.s department of justice plus the suggestion that ongoing audits may require restating of its financials apart from all that its one-time crypto strengths were starting to drag it down according to a coin desk analysis of the bank's financial reports over the past several years um, Basically, there's a chart in here, and I'll post links to all the articles um, that shows uh, the deposits have been steadily declining since the first half of 2021. Uh, sorry, the volume of transfers has been declining. Uh, many of the raw numbers reported by Silvergate over the years reveal an institution that may have peaked in 2021, well before the dramas of 2022 shook the crypto sector. The volume of on its silver gate exchange network for instance hit a high in the first half of 2021 with 406 billion in transfers which slid to 230 billion by the second half of 22 that's the chart that i was just referring to and the bank's overall asset size also reached a high point in the fourth quarter of 2021 at 16 billion uh, its most recent report showed it at 11.4 billion Even the high point of its assets describe a very small bank, the scale of a mid-range community bank, despite its outsized reputation as a core part of the digital asset industry's U.S. banking presence. A near equivalent for its size in California would be the slightly larger Farmers and Merchants Bank of Long Beach, according to state banking data. Uh, But one key difference between Silvergate and the more traditional Long Beach Community Bank is in the key measure of their capital the crypto bank slid rapidly into the final quarter of 2022 to a so-called leverage ratio that revealed it maintained just 5.4 percent of capital against its overall assets in the same quarter the latter bank it reported a ratio of 10.9 percent according to u.s bank capital rules five percent is the edge of the cliff beyond which a bank descends well below a well-capitalized designation and towards the territory of emergency intervention from regulators. A spokesman representing the bank said, Silvergate can't comment beyond what's already been made publicly available. One of the most dramatic descents to track in Silvergate's publicly released data was its deposits problem. Silvergate identified the number of digital assets customers it was working with each quarter and that crowd Steadily rose to 1620 last quarter. Most of those identified as institutional investors, though more than a hundred were digital asset exchanges. However, those crypto customers' deposits plummeted from almost 12 billion in the third quarter last year to less than 4 billion by the end of the year. The amount has clearly dropped much more than uh, Than that now, is several big names in its customer base are severing ties. Coinbase, Paxos, Circle Internet, Financial, and Galaxy Digital have been among those making very public comments, distancing themselves from the struggling bank. Uh, so, this is sort of what you call a bank run, I guess. A traditional regulated depository institution can't make it without a deposit base and Silvergate's coffers were drawn down quickly as major crypto clients dealt with their own collapses, bankruptcies, and legal disputes that required an instant vacuuming of their liquid cash last year. Still, for crypto businesses, the options for U.S. banking are getting narrower as the Federal Reserve and other banking agencies warn that they don't want the lenders they oversee getting overly exposed to the digital asset sector. Only a few banks had been as openly and unapologetically crypto-focused as Silvergate, so its struggles aren't offering a shining path for other institutions to follow. So again, quite interesting story here, and we'll have to continue to follow it, see if the bank gets, collapses, gets taken over by regulators, sold to another bank, or just closed. Um, it'll be interesting. Okay, next story. Uh, this one is from um, from the Bitcoin Magazine, and let's see, this one's dated March 2nd, titled, U.S. Treasury introduces CBDC working group, discusses potential routes for digital dollar. So Again, we talk a lot about CBDCs on this channel, and so this is uh, maybe some new news in regards to what the U.S. is planning. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, this is an experiment that's being tried all over the world. In fact, I'll be talking about India next, but I know in Nigeria they're trying to get their population to adopt uh central bank digital currency. They launched it. It started out as voluntary. They only got half a percent adoption. Then they decided to force everybody to and, and abolish paper currency, and they've been doing that. It's been causing riots and... Uh, people are, are very unhappy, um, and uh, a lot of people are turning to stable coins, Bitcoin, um, and other cryptocurrencies to to store their wealth and, and transact in around the system uh, because they're just you know not happy with that situation at all. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds uh, in, in other countries, but. Anyway, coming back to this article, the U.S. Department of the Treasury has released comments from Undersecretary for Domestic Finance Nellie Liang on the next steps to the future of money and payments, addressing CBDCs and the approach the American government is taking to their potential implementation. The original Treasury report, released in September 2022, described the formation of a CBDC working group that would advance work on a CBDC. Leong's remarks confirmed the formation of that group. One of the central tasks for the CBDC working group is to complement the Fed's work by considering the implications of a U.S. CBDC for policy objectives for which a broader administration perspective is helpful, Leong said. To give you a sense of how we're pursuing this work, I will describe our approach to thinking about CBDC options, the policy questions we are attempting to answer, and the kinds of recommendations we hope to develop. Highlights from this description include a look at the potential forms that a CBDC could take, the potential for a separate retail and wholesale CBDC, and the possible core features of the CBDC. Also discussed is the idea that a potential U.S. CBDC, if one were created, would best serve the United States by being intermediated, meaning that the private sector would offer accounts or digital wallets to facilitate the management of CBDC holdings and payments. In terms of technology, a retail CBDC might involve a different architecture compared to a CBDC that is intended solely for wholesale use. Um, and so just to understand retail and wholesale for a minute, so. Um, uh the way i think about it is uh, you could have an account as an individual directly with uh, the central bank and that would uh, basically disintermediate all the banks Uh, or you could have a central bank digital currency account with a bank just like you do today and then the bank in turn has an account with the federal reserve which is how it works today seems like they're kind of going down the path of the more of the retail approach uh in terms of you know you're having uh your account with a bank um but again it's it's programmable currency and so it has a lot of uh, will have a lot of surveillance capabilities and a lot of ability to for the government to track um, how you spend your money and, and potentially control how you spend your money so it's again something that you know i don't think we really want uh moving on uh in his piece for bitcoin magazine mark goodwin described how bitcoiners may have spent so much time looking for cbdc's we missed the private entity stablecoin monster right in front of our eyes the treasury's release comments suggest that a cbdc may well come on the backs of private entities with major incentives to participate the united states has gotten serious in regards to its consideration of a cbdc and all this just as legislation has been introduced by republican lawmakers that would prohibit the federal reserve from issuing a cbc dir- dc directly to anyone although this bill may not have much of a chance of passing notable is the specific angle of pre- preventing a federal cbdc potentially leaving free those intermediated by private parties the remarks also described how a cbdc is one of many directions for the government to take another being real-time payment systems the federal reserve according to leon has indicated that it expects to launch the fed now service this year which will be designed to allow for near instantaneous retail payments on a 24 7 365 basis using an existing form of central bank money i.e central bank reserves as an interbank settlement asset this would differ from a CBDC in that it would utilize an existing form of central bank money versus the new form a CBDC would introduce in addition to a potential new set of payment rails. Regardless of the path that the treasury takes, new payment systems are seemingly on the horizon for the United States. And again, going back to, you know, whether it's issued by private entities or banks, which seems like kind of where they're going with it, um, the selling point will be, you know, it's easy, it's convenient, you know? And so you really have to question that and understand, you know, what are really the pros and cons? How will this really work? Um, and how will it be um, different, let's say, than than how your current bank account works or, or you know, how you handle your own payments um, currently? So something that we will continue to watch with great curiosity here in the U.S. Uh, next article is from Bitcoin.com. And like I mentioned earlier, and this is dated today, um, uh, this is entitled India's central bank, digital currency will act as alternative to cryptocurrency says RBI official. So this is where the marketing kicks in where it says, Hey, you know, you're going to lose your shirt if you're investing in Ethereum or other, you know, shit coins or even Bitcoin. And so, uh, you know, trust us it's, this is good. This, this will be safe, right? And so that's, and this, this is kind of where I think this is gonna go, but let's, let's read it. So Reserve Bank of India Ex- Executive Director, AJ Kumar Choudhary provided some updates on India's central bank digital currency during an interview with CNBC TV 18 on Friday. The Indian Central Bank is exploring the offline functionality of the digital rupee, Chadhari conveyed, noting that the CBDC will soon become a medium of exchange in India. He emphasized that it needs to have all features of physical currency, including anonymity. anonymity. Uh, The RBI executive director previously said the design of India's CBDC will be the least disruptive and will not replace physical currency or the current financial system. Chowd Harry further told the news outlet that the digital rupee will provide the public with a digital form of money and will act as an alternative to cryptocurrencies. His statement echoed RBI Deputy Governor T. Robbie Sankar's recent claim that the digital rupee should be able to do anything cryptocurrency can do, but with without the associated risks of crypto. So aha. Oh, and also they're you know, they're making a lot of promises here about anonymity and it's just gonna be the same as cash and, and all that. And so um I think you just have to be a little bit skeptical. India's central bank began piloting its digital rupee in the wholesale sector in November and the retail sector in December last year. Reliance Retail became the first retailer to accept digital rupees. Last month Sankar revealed that the digital rupee now has over 50,000 users and is accepted by 5,000 merchants. RBI Governor Shaki Shakti Kanta Das said in December last year that the CBDC is the currency of the future. He clarified that India's existing instant real-time payment system, the unified payments interface, relies on banks as intermediaries, whereas the CBDC functions more like physical currency notes with an automated sweep in and out feature. Meanwhile, the RBI continues to recommend a complete ban on cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin and Ether. Das has warned that crypto poses major risks to India's financial stability, monetary system, and cybersecurity. Moreover, he cautioned that it could undermine the central bank's authority. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Definitely seems like they're worried and um, they're going to probably make it optional and then eventually force it. My guess is it'll probably play out a lot like Nigeria and uh we'll see you know if people go get on board with it or not but uh you definitely have to question the narrative and and you know is it really going to be i mean it might be easy but you know what are you giving up what do you what are the trade-offs because there's always trade-offs and that's really the questions that you have to ask yourself okay moving along next article we're going to cover is uh this is from the bitcoinist Uh, And this is entitled, um, this was posted yesterday, Bitfinex and Tether falsified documents to access bank services report claims. So again, uh, you know, regulators are really looking hard at uh, crypto companies. And this is one um, line of attack, which is, you know, that um, some of these companies may have... um, not been totally honest uh, when they were trying to access the banking system, which is obviously critical for them to be able to onboard and offboard uh people and, and for people to buy and sell cryptocurrencies and convert them back and forth into fiat. So, uh, and this apparently was in the wall street journal. So, uh, let's see a report by the wall street journal reveals the alleged illicit acts of Bitfinex and Tether in 2018. This is one of the many legal issues and controversies that have characterized Tether since its launch in 2014. One of the past legal issues with Tether was when uh, New York banned it from operating in the state. The Office of the New York State Attorney General investigated the firm in 2018 for giving out loans to investors and offering unregistered securities. Some of these issues then placed Tether and its sister company Bitfinex in a difficult position. As they could no longer access banking services. The firms allegedly falsified documents for support and even presented shell companies to confuse the banks. While investigating the issues surrounding Tether and Bitfinex in 2018, the Wall Street Journal accessed some emails sent back and forth to get banking support. In the Wall Street Journal report, the firms tried to mask their identities by using other individuals or fake companies to deceive the banks. These attempts exposed them to more issues with regulators, leading to the seizure of assets worth millions of dollars and connections to terrorist groups. In one of the emails, Stephen Moore, one of the owners of Tether Holdings, cautioned a USDT trader in China attempting to use fake contracts and sales invoices to deceive the bank. In Moore's words, using the fake documents he signed to open accounts was becoming riskier tether holding limited is behind usdt a stable coin worth over 70 billion dollars tether usdt ranks number one among stable coins but occupies the third position in market capitalization among all the crypto assets being a stable coin pegged to the us dollar tether usdt must have an equivalent amount of us dollar in reserve backing up each coin in circulation this means that for every one USDT out there, there must be one U.S. dollar in the Federal Reserve backing it up. But Tether's issues started when the U.S. government discovered it lied about backing up the coins in circulation with the U.S. dollar in Reserve. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission investigated the stablecoin and found the false claims. The CFTC revealed in... That from 2016 to 2018 tether held only 27.6 percent of all the circulating coins in usd equivalent instead tether's reserve depended on third parties and unregulated entities holding funds making up the reserve and tether shared reserves with bitfinex bitfinex is one of the largest crypto exchanges worldwide founded in 2012. its services cover retail crypto traders institutional investors and trading options such as margin and spot trading notably the exchange is registered in the British Virgin Islands, a tax haven. Since its inception, the exchange has re- recorded hack incidents and Bitcoin price manipulations on its platform. For instance, the exchange suffered a hacking incident in 2015 that left it with a loss of 1,500 Bitcoin worth $400,000. In 2016, the exchange was fined $75,000 by the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission for offering off-exchange finance commodity transactions. The Commission accused it of violating the Commodity Exchange Act since it didn't register as a Futures Commission merchant. The following year, 2017, Wells Fargo cut off the exchange wire transfer, leading Bitfinex to record a delay in its U.S. dollar withdrawal processing, which it also announced. Following the Wells Fargo ban, Bitfinex... Taiwanese bank also cut it off, leaving Noble Bank International to handle its banking needs. But by 2018, the NBI also terminated its relationship, leaving Bitfinex. And in 2018, the exchange had severe issues with its banking relationships, leading to several illegal attempts to reconnect to the banks. By 2019, New York General New York Attorney General Letitia James accused Bitfinex of using Tether, its affiliated company, to cover an $850 million loss. Proving its deep connection to the stablecoin company. So, uh, again, a lot of this stuff is old. So it's kind of interesting that it's popping up now, but it's in a Wall Street Journal article. But it's um, probably, again, part of the overall uh, regulatory push and uh, interest in, um, you know, getting these uh, crypto exchanges uh, under more regulatory scrutiny. And it continues. Uh, this one here is from Bitcoin Magazine, and this is, uh, posted on March 2nd, entitled HSBC, Nationwide Banks Crack Down on Bitcoin and Crypto Access. British banks have continued to crack down on their customers' cryptocurrency purchases, according to a Bloomberg report. Nationwide and HSBC are the latest UK banking giants to impose new limits on their customers' cryptocurrency purchases via debit cards and end purchases with credit cards. Nationwide is uh, applying daily limits of 5,000 pounds or $5,965 on debit card purchases of crypto assets. The Building Society informed customers on Wednesday while its credit cards can no longer be used to buy crypto. HSBC said it barred customers from making crypto purchases via its credit cards from last month, reads the report. HSBC states that the decision is due to alleged financial risk to customers. The report describes how most of the major UK banks have also implemented exchange-specific restrictions with the world's largest crypto platform Binance holdings, the most popular target. Bitcoin Magazine covered the start of these moves from UK banks in tandem with increasing discussion of a UK CBDC. Alison Rose, CEO of NatWest Group described how the bank had taken a pretty hard line on cryptocurrency due to the instability and volatility of the platforms and the risk of fraud, citing social media and technology platforms as the fraud's primary source. These new limitations on customers place UK citizens at a further disadvantage in regards to acquiring Bitcoin. As such developments are taking place, it highlights the need for more decentralized peer-to-peer exchanges that can facilitate no KYC Bitcoin transactions. Um, And I did talk about that actually, and wrote a piece in my blog about peer-to-peer, which um, actually is very popular in a lot of um, the global south because they, you know, have a hard time, uh, you know, with banking and all that. So they have to come up with other ways to purchase their Bitcoin. But um, um, again, regulatory crackdown um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of this is, you know, goes back to FTX and and goes back to all the crypto exchanges that, that, that are cratered. And now, you know, governments are in high alert um but then it's interesting that you know there's also this discussion about central bank digital currencies and again bitcoin's a very small asset i mean ray Dalio said he doesn't even think about it because it's so small so um why why are they worried you know you have to kind of ask yourself this what what's the concern why the push you know for central bank digital currencies uh why the push to to regulate uh crypto um kick them out of the banking system, for example, or make it really hard, you know, to, to, for these companies to bank. Um, it's just, you, you just have to kind of wonder, like, if it's not at some level, this is being orchestrated. Okay. Moving along. Uh, and once again, Binance is uh, everybody's favorite, um, you know, target. And so here's another one. This is from Coindesk, uh, March 3rd. Uh, Binance US is operating a quote, unregistered securities exchange, an SEC official says. A US securities exchange official said agency staff believe Binance US is operating an unregistered securities exchange in the US and that staff believe the sale of VGX tokens by Voyager Digital violated federal securities laws. Speaking at a bankruptcy hearing to determine if Voyager should be sold to Binance U.S., SEC senior trial attorney William Uptegrove said he was responding to Judge Michael Wiles of the Southern District Bankruptcy Court in New York, who said at the outset of the hearing that the SEC had provided little guidance or specifics about its objection to the Voyager sale. The staff believes, based solely on the facts and circumstances currently known to the staff, that the offering and sale of VGX tokens has the attributes of a securities transaction, he said. The staff also believes that Binance U.S. is operating an unregistered securities exchange in the U.S. The official noted that the SEC staff's views don't necessarily reflect the views of the five commissioners at the head of the agency. He did not say whether the SEC had any enforcement actions in the works tied to his declaration. The commission has not made any determinations on either of these issues, he said. The staff believes beliefs do not represent the view of the commission. Typically, an enforcement action by the SEC is started by the staff, but needs a majority of commissioners to vote in favor to proceed. It is regrettable that an SEC staff member would make allegations that Binance US and platforms like ours are operating an unregistered exchange without specifying the assets listed on our exchange that the SEC considers to be securities. A Binance U.S. spokesperson said, we, along with others in our industry, remain committed to constructive dialogue with regulators and supporting a comprehensive regulatory framework drafted and passed by Congress to ensure innovation continues in the United States. Up to Groves' comments echo SEC Chair Gary Gensler, who has said in the past that he believes a majority of crypto trading platforms should be registered as national securities exchanges, which would see them operate under the agency's disclosure and compliance regime. Voyager plans to sell its assets to Binance US as part of its Chapter 11 bankruptcy restructuring plan. The vast majority of Voyager's creditors, 97%, have supported the proposal, and a hearing to discuss the plan is headed into its third day. Um, so again, they're kind of going after Binance here, um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see um, how this progresses to, at the you know uh, at the commission level. But I think they're right. You know, really, um, it needs to be written into the law and. Um, there's a lot of competing proposals in congress and with the current state of uh you know affairs with um the red and the blue it's it's you know it'll be interesting if they can come together in support of any particular regulatory proposal uh, for for cryptocurrencies so uh, we will continue to watch that And then uh, the last article I wanted to cover, this is on Coindesk, dated March 4th. thought it was kind of interesting uh, and maybe perhaps why we don't invest in um, shit coins. Multicoin Capital's hedge fund lost 91.4% last year, investor letter reveals. Multicoin Capital's hedge fund lost 91.4% in 2022, according to a copy of the firm's annual investor letter viewed by Coindesk. The letter attributed last year's decline to a turbulent year for cryptocurrencies, as well as direct and indirect impact from the collapse of crypto exchange FTX. While the fund successfully dodged the catastrophic implosions of Luna and Three Arrows Capital earlier in the year, we didn't avoid the explosive revelations about FTX nor the subsequent contagion that spread across the market, said the letter. After a remarkable year in 2021, our performance in 2022 was the worst since inception. In a separate letter to investors last November, Multicoin detailed the financial condition of its hedge fund, revealing that the fund had 10% of its assets stuck on FTX, as well as significant exposure to FTT, Solana, and uh, SRM, all tokens that saw steep sell offs last November. Multicoin Capital, headed by managing partner Kyle Samani, launched its hedge fund strategy in October 2017, which invests in liquid tokens. The firm also operates three venture capital funds and has invested in the now bankrupt exchange FTX. Despite the massive drawdown, Multicoin's hedge fund remains up 1,376% net of fees from its inception through 2022, as the broader crypto market rebounded from last year's lows. Multicoin reported that the fund gained 100.9% in January 2023, bringing the fund's inception to January return to 2,866%. Multicoins 2022 losses stem from the assets stuck on FTX and holdings and tokens directly impacted by FTX, including the exchange token FTT. According to the letter in November, 2022, the firm quickly created a side pocket, a carve out of the main fund for assets impacted by FTX. This included assets stuck on the exchange, which are now ensnared in bankruptcy proceedings. The side pocket also includes multi-coin assets withdrawn from FTX just prior to collapse, which the letter says may be subject to clawbacks by the FTX estate. Um, and that's correct. Um, in bankruptcy, you can't, uh, can't transfer Assets out, you know, right before they collapse, um, those can be pulled back. So, the letter also details that MultiCoin has taken new steps to mitigate counterparty risk. The firm will only keep forty-eight hours worth of trading assets on an exchange at a time, adjusted collateral management practices to reduce the amount of collateral held on exchanges for derivative positions, and is onboarding with additional custodians to diversify custodial risk. Multicoin says it remains steadfast in its long-term strategy and does not attempt to time the market. A spokesperson for Multicoin Capital declined to comment. <laughs> uh, a couple lessons here. First of all, sometimes the smart money isn't smart money. Um, Shitcoins are basically a casino. Um, you have to trust uh, counterparties when you store anything on an exchange, even if it's Bitcoin so i guess the lesson here is um just uh stack sats stay humble and hodl okay and then uh, just to wrap up in case you uh, uh haven't seen it i posted a new uh, article on my uh, sub stack called bitcoin retirement plans kind of an update of an article i wrote about a year ago on, uh, using Bitcoin for retirement planning. Uh, no, I'm not crazy. It actually works. It makes a lot of sense. So check it out. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes and, uh, that's about it for this week. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like, and leave a comment. Also don't forget to subscribe to your favorite on your favorite podcast app. So you don't miss an episode. I actually started, um, listening to all my podcasts on fountain recently um you can actually earn sats um while listening to your favorite podcasts which is kind of cool and then you can also um do shout outs to your favorite uh, podcasters by sending them sats as well um so i think that's worth checking out You can also follow my substack at BitcoinFortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichardt. I'm also on Noster. Uh, You you should be able to find me uh, as Bitcoin Fortress if you're on Nostr. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.